So you want to know the ins and outs of managing your money. Well, lucky for you, you're just in time for another episode of Master Your Finances with certified financial planner professional, Kurt Baker. Kurt and his panel of experts are here for you and will cover topics from a legal and personal standpoint. They'll discuss tax efficiency, liability, owning, managing, and saving your money, and more. Master Your Finances is underwritten in part by Certified Wealth Management and Investment and Rider University. Rider offers continuing studies programs for adults who need flexibility. Want to add new skills to your resume? Take a continuing studies course at Ryder University. Now, let's learn how we can better change our habits with Kurt Baker. Are you part of the majority of the population who believes that mathematics can only be useful for fields related to mathematics, such as engineering, programming, and economics? Did you know that mathematics can be utilized for things more than that? Have you ever wondered how mathematics can be applied to our real-life problems? Joss Faber, a pure mathematics PhD graduate from UIC and the co-founder of BizBumps, will show you the importance of mathematics to real-world problems and how mathematics can present to us our solutions as it helps to limit our postulates. Get ready to no longer be intimidated by mathematics and to be inspired by the solutions it will bring to your everyday life challenges. All right, Josh, this is awesome. We're going to make math fun and productive, right? It's always been fun and productive That's for absolutely. me. Absolutely. <laughs> for those that may not may, may run when they hear the word math and all they, their eyes glaze over and they, they have a panic attack. Mm-hmm. That's right. <laughs> We're going to help those people as well as those who like math, right? That's correct. And I so. think there's, a, there's always a, a thing with mathematics where I think most people think of mathematics being in school and then having someone look over their shoulder and say, well, you're doing it incorrectly. And I always think about it in terms of art. You don't learn art by painting a fence gray. You learn art by being creative with it. And it's the same thing with mathematics. You have to have an idea of what you want to do with it so that you can go ahead and do it. And it's amazing that what you can do with mathematics. And I have found that especially in my life. Well, I read that once that mathematics is the basis of everything. Everything is based on math at some level, right? Once you get down to the very, very bottom of the of the how it all works and gets together, there's some math in there somewhere, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that's true. Uh, I prefer to look at it as a way to observe everything. It's a okay. language. Right, correct. And when I think about it, I always like to, so uh, a lot of the things I've done in the past is I've taught all ages, college, middle school. Mm-hmm. Gifted kids, non-gifted kids, people from diverse backgrounds, and I always tell them, when you look at the Pythagorean theorem, for instance, something that usually can scare most people, what it really says is how to relate two edges of a right triangle to the third one. And that doesn't sound that impressive. People go, oh, so what? Who cares? Until you're thinking about when you're trying to build something that deals with triangles, and now you've cut out a third of the time because you can write your observations down on paper and then calculate the third angle or the third edge without a measuring tape. It saves time that way. Sure. You can make your lab experiments on paper and not in the actual physical world where it takes actual energy. And that's really the power of mathematics is it turns things into a language and that language is what's useful for us. Wow. Okay. So we're going to learn a new language today, mathematics, right? So this is going to be fun. That's right. I think it's going to be fun. (laughs) Okay. So how do we put this into action so it can help us with our everyday 
uh, challenges that we may have. Excellent. So let me talk at least a story that got our business started or mm -hmm. one of the first projects we went into. Uh, a friend of mine in Chicago is a wine expert, a sommelier. And he was telling me about how difficult it is to really understand new wines when you're talking to people around a table. There's a couple things that happen. One, you have to talk to everyone. And number two, as you taste the wine, the alcohol hits your tongue and it, it changes how you look at it. And I was talking to him one day and he showed me that a bunch of the information for wine is located on the technical sheets that companies put out about the wine. The problem is, is that the technical sheets are on PDFs and PDFs are incredibly difficult to parse when you put it through a computer. Mm -hmm. It's unformatted. It's not an Excel document. So when we see images of text next to each other and you try to read it, it doesn't know that the space in between it is not text and it puts everything together. Mm -hmm. The thing is, is I don't see the PDF in terms of the output. I see it as a geometric object. It has height, it has width. And in that way, what you're actually trying to look for is different rectangles that you can understand when you squint at any piece of paper and you go, where are the paragraphs? Well, they're, they're in within those fuzzy rectangles that you're looking for. And now in instead of looking for paragraphs, you're looking for rectangles first, and then from there, extracting the text from the rectangles, therefore turning the problem into something that is geometric first, and then taking different geometric objects and taking the text out of it. From there, we were able to take all that information, put it into a database for our friend so that he could access it with all sorts of ease. We tested that on over 400 different wine text sheets and were able to compare it for him. And it was something that he never uh, could even believe that was possible before we started talking about it because he didn't understand what you were able to do with basic geometry, or at least basic once you understand it. Right. So, so what you're saying is when you saw these sheets, they were in like a traditional paragraph format, which is a rectangle, essentially. Right, exactly. And you could just pluck these out, mm -hmm. and then you could process those by themselves without whatever else was around exactly. it. Exactly. Right? And like the problem getting with, the clutter out of there. Right. And so so the problem is sometimes there was a header. That right. header was one rectangle. And then you would have two different tables of information. Right. And those are two different rectangles. And so instead of everything getting conjoined together and messing up the syntax that the reader and you and I would see by going, oh, there's a space there. That's obviously not between words. That's between paragraphs. You instead just say, oh, okay, where is the text and where is the text not? If the computer says, well, there's nothing there and you have a big enough space to understand that, well, then you're separating it into rectangles, my friend. Okay. So, so now you were able to solve that issue and, and you convert it into the text and then he could read it, right? So that was readable at that well, point. Well, not only that, we were, it's not only readable, we were able to then program and create a database for him. Okay. An actual usable database that then he could select ideas from and then he could ask, out of all the wines that we looked at, which ones had the tasting notes of Blackberry? So if he had a client that wanted to have blackberry tasting notes and have the production of the wine be under 2,000 cases, he could say these are the wines that were produced in these years with those types of ideas. Oh, wow. All that from a PDF, huh? All that from a PDF, because you can't see that with just one. But when you analyze multiple uh, PDFs, and as we did over 400, then you can start playing with the data in a very nuanced way, in a way that you couldn't before, because you don't have to spend the time cleaning it. Wow, that's fascinating. 
Definitely above my head. So what gave you the idea to start this business, to start doing it? Was this your friend with the wine business that got you the idea to start this? Or how did you decide to start doing this? Well, what, what happened was I, I've always been a person that just steamrolls ahead and goes and does things. I love to get my hands dirty. Mm-hmm. Uh, some people with mathematics, they like to read books and they research that way. I, I like to get my hands dirty with the symbols. I always have been that way. And when uh, I was working on my thesis... I had to start looking at postdocs and COVID happened. And as happened to many people, my life changed. And I did not like going to conferences on Zoom calls. That was no fun. Mm. And I talked to a friend of mine who I actually also knew from undergraduate. And he was also a math guy with me in our graduate careers. And we decided, hey, why don't we see what we can do together? Mm-hmm. He had a different area of mathematics. He had some expertise in the business world. And he said, you know, I think we can do something here. So I went out to all my friends and I started to see which people had problems that we could talk to. One of them was a wine taster. Another one worked in theater. And we just started to see the different projects that were available to us until one stuck. And so we did that. And fortunately enough, it was impressive enough that I got to talk at it at NJIT campus at the big data association this year. And that brought us into different ideas and different ideas. And so, you know, you do a project here, you do a project there and you see where it leads you. So after you did the wine project for your friend, so what, what kind of went next? Did, did, had you formed the company at that point, or did, was that prior to the company? We had. We had formed the company okay. at that point. And after the wine project, we are now currently with, uh, with a client that owns a out-of-home advertisement company. So when you go out of your house and you see a smart billboard, right. you see the names underneath the smart billboard, and those are the companies that own the billboard. So say you're a company that wants to advertise, you contact them and you go from there. Right. And what we're doing with them is we're helping to automate their RFP process. So they have an Excel document, and that has all the information of all their different types of, of billboards throughout the country. And then someone goes, hey, I want the information from these billboards, and I want to know how much it costs. And usually someone has to go in and fill it all in. And there's no standards in that company. So maybe one company calls it unit number and another company calls it unit num. Well, a computer thinks those are completely different phrases. And so you have to find a way around that to automate the process. So we started talking to people and we started talking to each other and we started finding ways to solve that problem. And we're in the midst of doing that right now. And it's always so interesting when people go, well, where's the math in that? Well, the math is in the fact of how you locate and you parse and you tackle the problem by able to go into different steps. When you think about solving a problem in algebra, you're trying to think of the different steps you need to do to solve the problem. And Mm -hmm. as I told students, and I always tell students, not only about solving the problem, you also want to do it quickly. You don't want to sit there all night solving a problem. You want to find the most efficient way to do that. And in the business world, the most efficient way means that it's worth the most money because computers are off of electricity and our electricity is still off of coal. So therefore, if you can do something quicker, it's going to save everyone time and money. Okay, so you're still in the middle of that project. How long does something like that take? There's got it has to be many thousands of billboards around the country, right? Right. So we're working on it right now. Uh, the prototype got us into the door. So we're working on perfecting that just for this company. And if things go well, then we'll bring it to market within the next couple of years and see if other people would like to use it as well. Okay, so this will be something other billboard 
advertiser purchasers would maybe get interested in so they can then mm -hmm. figure out how to place their ads based on what they want to do so i say well i want to go down route one Mm -hmm. and go every so often and then you can figure out well what that actually means because it might be different owners and not only that but say you wanted to then buy space on a billboard right then when you send the sheet to the company you don't need a human to spend a couple hours sometimes to fill it out it still takes, even for these very technical, smart billboard companies, it can take up to an hour to fill out one order for them. Really? Yeah. I had no idea. Yeah, I had no idea either before I started this project. Oh, so you're basically going to automate all that together. Right, and finding novel ways to do that, because right now it's all these different parts that they have to take from. That's just awesome. We're going to take a quick break. You're listening to Master Your Finances. This is Master Your Finances with Kurt Baker, Certified Financial Planner Professional. Learn about tax efficiency, liability, owning, managing, and saving your money, and more from Kurt and his experienced panel of guests. Master Your Finances is underwritten in part by Certified Wealth Management and Investment and Rider University. Rider University offers flexible education for adult learners. For more information, it's rider.edu slash next step. Welcome back. You're listening to Master Your Finances, and I'm here with Josh uh, Faber of Pure Mathematics. He's a PhD, and he is one of the co-founders of BizBumps, and we were talking about math and how it solves problems out there and in some unique ways, right? So you did the first you did with the wine, and then uh, we were talking about the how to solve the problem for like the billboard companies, how they're all different, and they categorize them differently mm-hmm. so now you have to somehow solve that problem on all the different biz- billboard companies right? That's that, right that sounds pretty complicated to me and you said it could take a while for somebody right now if i want to if i get a billboard somebody on their end it's going to take them a long time to fill this out and you said that's efficiency because now you can kind of standardize this stuff correct that's right or or make it so that it doesn't need to be standardized the thing that's oh, good okay. about computers is there's computers might be very very on and i I don't like using the word dumb, but computers aren't that bright. They're not actually alive. They do only what you tell them to. But the good thing is they do that very, very quickly. So if you understand that a process works, well, the computer will do it much quicker than you and I. So you can get it to do a bunch of things all at once. And that's what's really useful about it. Yeah, that's just awesome. So so what are some other ways that you've seen that we can use math to help to solve some of these issues out there. Well, I like that non-standardization. Like, not only do you not have to deal with it, non- you don't have to standardize them is what it sounds like, mm-hmm. right? So you can let the, the system work the way it is. So if a new billboard company comes in and has their own coding, you can just, you'll be able to plug that right in. That's what right. it sounds like. That's, that's just, exactly that's, right. That's very unique, right? Because mm-hmm. usually we're doing mappings and we're doing all this stuff to, to try to make it match. Mm-hmm. But you don't have to do that in this case. You're using the math to figure it out for you. Right. And I think and I think you've actually keyed on to the, the exact reason why we're so excited about this project is it's really hard to get a bunch of people together to agree on something and give up the things that they use. It messes up their entire thing. This allows them to come in and be a part of it. That is unique. That's awesome. Okay. So now now the billboard companies, for all of us want to buy billboards. Now this will make it a little bit easier once this project's completed, it sounds like. Um, so what are some other things out there that you're working on to help us uh, Well, one thing I've, I've make always, efficient? always been very interested in is I'm, I might be from New Jersey, but I'm also a very avid biker. I love cycling. 
Um, I cycle all the time. Right now, living in Chicago, Chicago's very, very flat, so it's very easy to cycle around. And there's a big initiative right now to bring in new bike lanes. And it's a very exciting time to be a biker in Chicago. But that being said, that doesn't mean that new ideas don't have problems that are, on, that are not seen at first. For instance, if you have concrete barriers in a bike lane, well, what happens when weather comes in and you don't have specific things from the city that are wide enough or narrow enough to actually go through the bike lanes? Then the bike lanes will just accumulate snow, ice, and oh. trash in different seasons, and, well, they can't become usable. And then as a biker, we have to go back into the road. Right. So one of the things that I've done is by looking at different city data for traffic accidents, you can actually see where are the highest accident rates for cyclists. And you can start to chart that. And now getting this data, we're starting, me and some friends are actually looking at what bike lanes are better than others. Can we actually see in the data that less accidents are occurring in what type of bike lanes and in what parts of the city? So hopefully we can bring these to different city planners and say, hey, you, you got this initiative going on, that's great. Here are the areas that need help. And by the way, these bike lanes work better here. That's amazing. So have you, have you just started that? Or do you know the answer to that yet? Or are you just uh, still working on that we one? We have some ideas. I've, I've talked, we've gotten a, a, a number of people together to talk about in Chicago. I've been talking to some people actually in Princeton Township to talk about it as well. They've had some issues trying to get good bike lanes off and on. There's always an opinion about what you should do in Princeton. And it's sometimes, it seems to be hard to push things through. Princeton definitely has an opinion. And they have so, an opinion. <laughs> they definitely do. Um, so I'm just curious, I don't know if in your preliminary data, I know oftentimes when we go and do these studies, mm -hmm. a, lot of, a lot of times we're surprised. Like, you, like intuitively think, oh, this type of bike lane might work better than another one. Has the math told us something maybe different than what intuitively we might have thought? Or is it lining up with what you might have thought worked? We're, it's a little too early to okay. tell that. I have some guesses. Okay. Um, but that's just because I bike a lot and I've talked and I like talking to people. Okay. One of the things that I've seen work extremely well is taking a wide one-way street within a neighborhood and turning it into a two-way bikes bike lane and what they do that's really really amazing is they'll actually paint pictures of the bikes on the bike lane so that it implies which way is forward on each direction and what i find amazing biking in those areas is the cars respect it because the signage is there right now if you saw a biker on route one uh, you'd go that person's crazy there's nothing to indicate that the biker should be there, but when you put in common sense measures such as signs and indicators that people should be there, people go, oh, okay, that makes sense. And it seems that that is really the key that a lot of people haven't really caught on to. That's, they're just in the beginnings of. You see that some in Hopewell as well, actually. You see good signs there where they say, remember, bikers have four feet away from cars so they don't get doored. So it's all designated on the road, right? Mm -hmm, so yeah, mm -hmm. that's key because I know I've known friends of mine. It's 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 a pretty uh, and I've biked a little bit myself, and it's a little mm -hmm. scary out there, especially places like New Jersey where the roads tend to be older, where there's not large shoulders necessarily, mm -hmm. oh, definitely. and you truly are sharing the road with the vehicles. And every once in a while, like a big dump truck drives by, and oh, you, yeah. you feel like you're gonna go oh, off yeah. the road, and you're like, oh my goodness. And and it feels like a lot of with the bike directions on Google Maps, it, it feels very much so like back in the day with the old internet directions where all of a sudden uh, they would give you down a one way and it would be incorrect. So I, I've used bike directions in uh, New Jersey 
And all of a sudden I'm going over Quaker Bridge Road and I'm forced to go in the middle of the median across uh, across wow. Route 1 or you'll be going down Princeton Pike. There's all those on ramps to the highway. So you have to now go through the on ramps and let people know you're coming through. And it's it's a real mess. So even though the maps say this is the best bike route, wow. the, the infrastructure is not there to actually support it safely. And so, of course, who's going to then continue to use it? Right. So the, the math, so to speak, we're going to get back to the, where you're going to decide what's the best uh, policies as far mm -hmm. as how to build these things, how to designate them, what, how to, how to um, identify them and so forth. And then you go and build it. So right, it makes exactly. a lot more sense to design it and prove it out ahead of time, right? Mm -hmm. Test small, roll out big, so to speak, the old saying. Yes. So this is a way to do that, taking existing uh, data that you already have, like whether it be Chicago or Princeton, mm -hmm. other places have kind of adopted these in one way, shape, or form, figure out what's working best, and then adopt that when you start expanding it larger. And you can monitor that going forward, right? So you don't stop there. You just keep going. Exactly. So you just keep monitoring as you grow it. Because things may change, right? What mm -hmm. we do now, 10 years, 20 years from now, may be different. Exactly. The best policies may be different going forward. So this is something that could be an ongoing project, right? 100%. Because they want us to get out and exercise. They want us to bike, right? Mm -hmm. Saves and gas and, and you're healthier. It. You feel great doing it. Yeah. It's amazing how much when you start biking more often or any sort of exercise. Like I, yep. I know I, but anyone who does exercises, yes. it, 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 you feel good doing it. Absolutely. And you're, and you're absolutely right. I mean, right now, um, a lot of the towns in New Jersey are extremely bikeable. Right. The problem is that the towns are not connected. Right. So it seems to me that the first thing you do is you make the two, town, two towns that you want to connect, you make the towns bikeable first, and then you connect them as a second step, right. almost as a fourth dimensional type of project uh, as it progresses, as you said, in time. And then as we do that, we can see what works in other areas of the world. One of the things that we have looked at is in certain parts of South Korea, uh, they have bike lanes underneath solar panels so that the bikers underneath? get shade. Oh, yeah. So, oh, interesting. So instead of medians, they have solar panels and the bikers have bike lanes underneath and the solar panels are there to go for the cities and the streetlights. Uh, in different parts of Holland, you have parking lots outside of the towns and cities where you park your car and then bike lanes that bring you inside the city. Okay. So it's a, an additional part of public transportation in that sense. It's separate from the cars in some places. And then, of course, where different hubs of transportation meet, well, that's good for businesses. No, I, I agree. And, and as you are I, I kind of touching on a little bit, most of the world uses bikes far more than we do mm -hmm. as a way to get around and go to work. It's just much more common right? Um, out of necessity or just the way they've set it up. So they're, they're probably ahead of us as far as some of the, the techniques that they're using. Mm -hmm. So we need to learn, right? Learn from other learn. people as well. So that's another one. So bike lanes and identifying those. So any other projects you're working on as far as uh, the math, what's going to solve? Those right now are the, are the main projects we're looking on. The bike lanes are a part of a bigger project of, of architecture. A lot of this is inspired by an architect who we lost uh, just last year or the year before by the name of Christopher Alexander. He was really, really interesting because what he did was he took the process of design and put it into an idea of graphs. He, he then said by taking the ego out of the aesthetic and just looking at what you need, then you really are caring about how people will, will interact with it. And it, it's really changed my mind on how we look at it because when you go down, for instance, Route 1 between New Brunswick and here, you see all this empty space and now you see all this dead grass. Right. It's completely unusable to most people. It's not doing anything aesthetically. It's not doing much of anything, it seems. And we could be using this in such a greater way if we had bike lanes, if we had more trees, more shade, it would bring the temperature down. 
Right. It just seems to me to be common sense initiatives that would be good for everyone, including business. Absolutely. Absolutely. Wow, that's fantastic. We're going to take another quick break. You're listening to Master Your Finances. This is Master Your Finances with Kurt Baker, certified financial planner professional. Learn about tax efficiency, liability, owning, managing, and saving your money and more from Kurt and his experienced panel of guests. Master Your Finances is underwritten in part by Certified Wealth Management and Investment and Rider University. Rider University offers flexible education for adult learners. For more information, it's rider.edu slash next step. Welcome back. You're listening to Master Your Finances. I am here with Josh Faber, and we've been talking math and how it can help us uh, solve some everyday problems, which is just awesome. Um, and so you start off on your project with uh, the billboards, which is ongoing, solving the, uh, so you can incorporate non-standardized entities um, so they don't have to change the way they're doing business and the way they're identifying everything and make it so that a third party can come in and kind of put all this together. Mm-hmm. And uh, in, a, in a way that makes sense and to slow and to speed up the time it takes to actually put an ad online, right? So if I want an ad, it makes it much easier. You're going to save everybody a little bit of money. And so the overall cost of the whole system goes down. And, of course, the bike thing. So, um, so how did you get, like, started? This is kind of interesting how you get it all the way down here. So how did this whole start for you as far as the math side goes? Well, I've always enjoyed mathematics. But I think when you say that, it's more that you enjoy basic problem-solving skills with what the notation does for you. Uh, when I got myself into college, I actually didn't start with the math. I started with uh, political science and then later on with physics. And the more I played around with physics, I was amazed with what the equations could predict. I'm, I'm sitting there thinking to myself, well, well, goodness gracious, if you put a ball on a ramp, you can predict where the ball will land. And so when I started talking to my professors about other areas to study, they pointed out, well, Josh, you don't seem to care about the physics. You care about the math. Maybe you should check out the math department. Interesting. And when I went there, I realized that some of my observations were shared by other people. A common observation is when you think about an object flying in the motion, if you draw that out, well, that looks like a graph. So if you can figure out the equation that mimics the graph, that equation can now predict what that object will do. So if you have the right variables, you can actually predict real things about life, things about weather, things about where things might be, things to protect us in big cases with asteroids, things about what drugs will do for you, things about population, all sorts of things, how things are connected. You know, when people talk about, for instance, you know, the extinction rate of animals. Well, what they don't talk about is how that will affect everything down the line, the rate at which will affect. And if you understand some basics of the mathematics and you can put that information together, it starts to paint a picture for you so you can understand it better because it's able to give you real world benefits even though the ideas are abstract in nature. So so math can, can predict things literally through the numbers as far as what's likely to happen based on what you know today, right? That's right. The trajectory of what's happening and how it's uh, mm-hmm. likely to per- per- perform going forward, which is an awesome thing to have out there because it would be nice to know, right? And then if you change variables, you can change the trajectory of what you might be concerned about mm-hmm. right, as far as things go, whether it's extinction, 
or anything else or asteroids coming at the planet well that's a biggie right that's a biggie because we all know at some point someday there's going to be a big one that's going to hit the earth we just could be millions of years from now or it could be next week that's right and, and it, hopefully not next week and it's always so well hopefully not next week <laughs> and it's always so interesting because what the math then and it's i always like to pull it back the math can always be right but you have to make sure you're modeling the correct reality Right. That was something that also blew me away when I was studying physics in undergrad, because at the beginning of one of the physics textbooks, they were introducing uh, the Maxwell equations for electrostatics. You know, the, the equations that tell you, you know, how magnets interact with each other and how to predict the rate at which they'll come together. Um, and before Maxwell and his equations came into the known, before he proved them, they thought that in the air was a bunch of unseen gears and wires, and then they had these horribly long equations that predicted things. The math was correct, but it modeled the wrong reality. Mm. And that is always a problem with data science and data analysis, is you have to make sure your models are sound and correct. It's easy to say, oh, this, this is some math, and it's going to work and predict things about the economy or about stocks. But if you're not modeling actual reality, the math might not give you the correct results of what you want. It might be telling you something completely different. Oh, so uh, the old garbage in, garbage out sounds like to me. <laughs> it can be. <laughs> it can be. I mean, you, you always have right. to watch for, you always have to watch out for people that promise you too much. You always have to watch out for that. Right, right. So, so even with the math, you've got to have the right parameters in place otherwise it's not going to function the way you expect that's it right to. you always have to have some basic common sense okay so now you went to the math department right and so you started studying math so what happened from there well i was studying there and i was in a class uh, called combinatorics big word uh it's just the math essentially of counting and putting things together combinatorics binary numbers numbers mm -hmm. and the professor at the time he was putting up a problem on the board that he had used in his thesis at harvard and after class, I went up to him. I said, well, isn't it like this, this, and the other thing? He just looked at me and he said, I had never thought about that. Mm -hmm. And there was a couple moments like that that let me know that I was doing stuff in a way that other people were not. And a couple of professors, him included, then pushed me into doing more of, uh, more of the mathematics and, and physics professors too. One of my physics professors who actually, taught, who actually taught me quantum mechanics and wrote one of my recommendations for grad school was Brian Greene. Mm -hmm. And he was very, very, he was very, he was very good at, at pushing me into the correct direction and saying, no, no, never give up on this. Keep doing the math. Of course, I support you doing this. Mm -hmm. And some professors were, were not as happy to see me leave the physics department, but a lot of people understood that you have to go do what you want to do. Right. Okay, so now now you got through there. Yeah, what, then what happened? And then, you know, I applied to a bunch of different schools, and I got into the University of Illinois, Chicago, and that was a wonderful place to go. A very, very diverse campus, um, very good, very good professors. And, uh, yeah, I, I really fell in love with an area called geometric group theory, which is a, a very fancy-sounding term, but it, it uses geometry to understand things that are algebraic in nature. And I thought that was fascinating, that you have this bridge in mathematics. You have one side, the geometry, the pictures that you and I can draw, and then you have the algebra, and that's the notation. And the thing that's so fascinating is they're not always the same. 
Sometimes you can learn more about the geometry and then pull that back and understand things about the algebra that you might have not been able to see in just the notation and vice versa. Um, I, when, I teach, when I teach students, I talk about this bridge all the time when teaching about calculus. When you think about what a derivative is, the rate of change, and we use that all the time. Right. You know, you're, you're talking about profits, you're talking about something, you want to know how quickly are you accumulating that money. So you're calculating the derivative there. That's the rate of change. The velocity of a car is the derivative of the motion. But when you're thinking about how to show it and how to teach it, well, the easiest way to do is get a graph and then draw the tangent line on it. That's a geometric picture that then implies the algebra. You ah. get the equations from the geometry. And I don't know how else to teach or have a student who is first coming to mathematics without explaining it visually first and then having them from there understand the language of the algebra. Well, that makes a lot of sense because, uh, as I'm sure you're aware, a lot of teachers don't start off that way. They'll yeah. just give you a whole bunch of equations, memorize these all these equations. Right. And good luck. Right. right? And it, it doesn't seem to and work it's, very it's usually well. a couple of pages worth of equations, too. And that goes back to, to painting, paint, learning art by painting a fence gray. How is memorizing a bunch of equations and not relating it to the real world going to make anyone excited about it? And I think that's such a shame because, you know, we count money and numbers. <laughs> so the better you are with math, the better you are with numbers, the better you are with manipulating your money. Right. So how, how is it that we have failed so much to get people so afraid of mathematics when it seems to be so crucial in almost every area? Well, I hope they start teaching more math that way because that's not the way I was taught things. It was, it was mm -hmm. definitely the equation situation and you had to yeah. memorize all these things and you applied them and you, you knew what you're supposed to get and that was it. Yeah. No, same, same. I think that's one of the reasons why, for me, I started off in the physics because the physics was very hands-on. You go to a lab, you actually get to do stuff in the lab. Right. Right. And then later on, I realized that underneath all of the physics were the math that proves it. Right. And then that was what I found so fascinating is that you could then push the equations. I mean, when you talk about people figuring out how quick sound travels, they right. didn't have the instruments to record that. They did that mathematically. Right. The Babylonians way back in the day were able right. to calculate the circumference of the world by looking at how shadows changed and seeing that obviously the earth was round. I mean, we've known that way back in the day. Right. And then from there, calculating a pretty accurate understanding of the circumference of the world. That's amazing when you think about the fact that light hits our eyes and then we understand we, our minds put together how the world looks. So that means we're always in the shadow somewhat of reality. And from there, we can write down these equations on paper and understand the circumference and how large the world is and we can understand things about the stars and galaxies when we're just seeing reflected light that's crazy <laughs> i i agree 100 percent. i agree 100 that's just awesome man we're going to take another quick break you're listening to master your finances this is master your finances with kurt baker certified financial planner professional learn about tax efficiency liability owning managing and saving your money and more from Kurt and his experienced panel of guests. Master Your Finances is underwritten in part by Certified Wealth Management and Investment and Rider University. Rider University offers flexible education for adult learners. For more information, it's rider.edu slash next step. 
Welcome back. You're listening to Master Finance. I'm here with Josh Faber, and we're talking math, and we're making it fun. So he's talked a lot about how it can use, be used to solve everyday problems, which he's working on. He's doing an awesome job there, cutting-edge stuff. Um, but what we were talking about just beforehand, we touched a little bit on how you're, you're teaching and how maybe the way we've historically been taught math, especially things like um, calculus, which everybody, like, they cringe. You're like, oh, my gosh, I don't want to learn calculus. i got to memorize all these formulas, and I don't understand it, and et cetera, et cetera, right? So walk us through, like, what you think is, right, the, the best way. You talked about doing it in, as far as visual first. We start with the visual, mm-hmm. and then you support it with the math. Right, right. Well, a lot of people, they can understand visuals. Um, a lot of people grew up looking at cartoons, playing video games, and they, have a, a, they already have a certain nature with understanding the visuals. And so when you're sitting there with a piece of paper and you draw and you get them to draw, they become invested in the drawing. It's the art. And so calculus is something that I think, unfortunately, people are afraid of because we use it in bad college movies as a way to say, oh, this person has to learn calculus in the night or else they're going to fail college. And we put this big emphasis on it. And a lot of people don't go ahead and go, well, what's it doing for us? How do we understand it? What are the little bits behind the scenes that are making it work? Right. And so what is calculus? Calculus is the study of a curve, a line in space, how much area is underneath that curve, and how the curve itself is changing. What the fundamental theorem of calculus tells us is that the way in which the curve is changing is fundamentally intertwined with the area that's underneath it. Mm -hmm. So that gives us a bridge between how the arc is curving, the derivative, and the area underneath, which we call the integral. And then we use symbols, and the symbols scare people. And it's, oh, oh, there's a symbol, I don't know it. But, you know, if you have a symbol in business, if you have a symbol on the billboard, as long as it's a drawing, people aren't afraid of it. But I think that with math, people go, oh, if I don't know this, I might not be as good as the person next to me. And that imposter syndrome really scares a person into thinking that some types of people are good at math and some people are not. We've been doing math since the inception of the human species. Everyone is good at math. Mm -hmm. Everyone has forgotten that we didn't know how to walk for the first four years of our life. We had to learn how to walk. We had to learn how to crawl. And from there, you know, we learned how to run. And so I think people forget that we're so good at learning new skills if we just sit down. And here's the key point. Have the time to do it. And so I think a lot of people, and maybe this is my biased opinion towards it, simply just don't take the time into really asking themselves, what don't they get? Why don't they get it? Right. You know, and I'm not saying it's for, you know, everyone needs to go out and learn mathematics. That's the great thing about how we learn, right? I don't need to go off and learn the Russian language to understand Russian poetry. I can get a translation of it. And then if there's something more nuanced I want to understand, I can talk to one of my friends that might know Russian, right? I can learn it from other people. There's a communication there. Math is just a language. It's notation. It seems ridiculous to me that people are scared of a notation. That's all it is. You know, you, you mentioned earlier about about you know about you know the joking about how maybe an asteroid might might hit the Earth, 
in, in the future. Right. And there's a lot of theories at this day is that the moon was actually a part of the Earth and an asteroid hit us and the moon is left over from an asteroid. So, and I only say that to say we will be fine, maybe not all of us, but we will be fine as a, as a planet, right? right? Well, Elon will take us to Mars by then. That's right, that's right. So, <laughs> but the thing is, is that, you know, we seem to be afraid of the wrong things, right? right. Like, like, we know that we're in the midst of a horrible heat wave throughout the world, right? And somehow people are just going through their day or day, let's just turn the AC up, and then they're afraid of math. <laughs> like, right. that seems ridiculous to me. Right, right, you know, right. I, and so I, I think there's a, there's a lot to how we learn and then how the positive reinforcement might not be there. And I think there's a, a lot of people that are trying really hard and there's a lot of people that don't understand why the math is useful. When you're teaching children, a lot of parents really care, well, how will my kids do on the SAT? Is this right. going to get them here? Is this will get them there? You know, a lot of people don't like funding the arts. But if a kid doesn't care about how well they paint a picture, well, that's self-worth. Right. That's where you learn self-worth. And the same thing with mathematics, like, or at least for me it was. You know, the more that you put your time into the equations and see how to model different aspects of reality, it teaches you how your mind thinks. That's what I love about programming. That's what I love about doing stuff for my company is that you get to really have a conversation with yourself. When I was talking to you earlier about how to understand the PDF, the way that I cracked that was I thought to myself, well, how am I understanding the PDF? What am I seeing that the computer is not? And then I realized that the spaces in between the letters or the words, which is called kerning, mm -hmm. is a smaller size than spaces between different paragraphs. Because if they weren't, we wouldn't be able to see visually the difference. If you look at any sign, the space between the letters is smaller than the spaces between the words. That's how we visually understand it. Mm. And so you have to understand that type of nuance first before you solve the problem. The math, all that really allows me to do is understand how to slowly and patiently go step by step and not get frustrated. You know, I, one thing I always tell my students when they feel like they should give up on an equation is it's always worth it to spend a couple hours figuring out an equation than giving up and having a lifetime of not knowing how to do it. That's more time. Right. Right. right more right. time, more time freaking out other than just sitting down and figuring out what am I doing wrong? And then the part where you feel so frustrated, ask for help. Right. We have this amazing thing called the Internet. There's all these forums out there of people that are willing to help you. All these YouTube videos. A lot of people can learn so much of mathematics by just going on to open courses on, on MIT, going on to different people teaching online. It's a wonderful time to learn about everything in the world. Wow, that's just awesome. So we shouldn't be afraid of math, what you're telling us, right? I don't think so. I don't think anyone should be afraid of, of knowledge. They can't. People might be able to take your money, but they can't take away what you know. That, that is very true. Right. So you think this uh, doing this uh, graphically, we can teach kids, kids younger are understanding this as opposed to needing to wait until like college level like for things oh, like. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Definitely. I 100% I believe that. And the reason why is because kids are humans. They're smart. Right. You know, just because they don't have the language of understanding doesn't mean they don't know what's going on. You get a kid invested in anything they like. I mean, you're telling me that a kid that can understand a complex video game with every single nuance in there or can memorize every single superhero 
can't understand an equation that's been there for hundreds and sometimes thousands of years. Right. Like that, that's what I mean. People need to give go more credit to people and what we've done. We are an amazing species and we always will be. That's incredible. So we need to change the way we're teaching math a little bit, it sounds like, right? Mm -hmm. So you're, you're beginning that process where we're using the visualization first and adding in the equation later. So how do we make sure that we, more kids are taught this way now well, that we know? Well, I think the, the, the obvious elephant in the room is the funding. Right. I mean, that's the thing is that when you have a situation where teachers are not getting paid what they're worth right. and they're not celebrated. Mm -hmm. I mean, how many people, okay, we all know Elon Musk. Who's the best teacher in the university that we're in right now? Why aren't we celebrating them? Right. Right. That's the issue. The issue is that we're celebrating the wrong people. We're celebrating the people on the billboards, but we're forgetting about the people that strengthen our communities. Right. The teachers, they're there teaching our kids how to be successful. And the successful kids are going to come back and bring it all back. They're the people that are going to open up the businesses. Those businesses will make the connections with the old businesses. That's how a town flourishes. A town is an ecosystem. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Wow. This is just amazing. So, um, so now we got, um, all these problems that we're solving, right? We got, uh, the promo, um, the mathematics, right? So what else can we do with math? Can you think of, well, where else can we use it? The thing is, is that math is used to solve problems. Mm -hmm. So whenever you have a problem at hand, the first thing you try to do is you understand the problem. By translating a problem into the language of mathematics, you're able to then play around with the problem on paper. Uh, for instance, the world is a sphere, right? So if you have a certain weather pattern on one side of the globe, the math says that you have to have a certain type of weather pattern elsewhere. We would have different types of weather if the earth was a different type of shape. Mm -hmm. Now that sounds like it's just big pie in the sky type physics and weather patterns until you realize that the way the shipping industry uses currents and water to get through from across the Atlantic and through the Pacific, right? So understanding problems help us by bringing things from point A to point B and that solves logistics problems. We talk about going to other planets, how are we gonna understand how to get there if not for the math? The most expensive part of a rocket is the fuel. Right. Once you understand that, you realize that we need to prove to the investors the best way to get there. If we can prove that this is the best way and it's going to cost this much, then they'll allow people to say, okay, yes, let's, let's give this money to do it. But without that, who is ever going to invest if I can't say that, right? And yeah, that's some big, big type notion. It's solving these horrible equations. The fact of the matter is we can do it. That's what's amazing. We can model this aspect of reality and use it. I mean, just look at what we've been able to just see now at the start of the pictures of the James Webb telescope. Right. Just at the start of it. Like, you know, like I can't even imagine what it must have been like to first see images of the Hubble and how far we've come in our lifetime. That's insane. <laughs> It is. Right? And the math that was behind all those people that got that to work and all the people, they had to go to all the money people right. and convince them to invest. You need the proof, and the math gives you the proof. Absolutely. Josh, this has been an amazing conversation. Uh, I like math. I love it even more now. It's fantastic. <laughs> so I hope we get the kids teaching and get people so not quite so afraid of calculus. That's uh, right. Um, again, we've been listening to Master Your Finances. Have a great day. 
That was this week's episode of Master Your Finances with Kurt Baker, Certified Financial Planner Professional. Tune in every Sunday at 9 a.m. to expand your knowledge in building and managing your wealth. Missed an episode? No worries. You can subscribe to a free weekly episode of Master Your Finances to listen to on your favorite podcasting platform. Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, whatever. Master Your Finances is underwritten in part by Certified Wealth Management and Investment and Rider University. Rider offers continuing studies programs for adults who need flexibility. Want to add new skills to your resume? Take a continuing studies course at Rider University.